Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. All right, uh, the, the book of James. We're going to um, work our way through the book of James this, uh, this fall. That'll take us up to the Christmas um, time, so just be prepared. We're going to be spending a lot of time in James. Perfectly good. It's a good book. has a lot to say for, uh, to us, and I think will help us. Um, uh, one of the things it will do for us is to create the right kind of categories that we do this. And so uh, if you, um, you know, have your Bible, if you need a Bible, I forgot to say that. If you need a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Uh, feel free to do that. One more time, my name is Trent. Really grateful for the opportunity to open uh, the scripture with you. Uh, do you have an um, older, how many of you are not the oldest sibling? Let's just pause right there. Not the oldest sibling. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, does, does anybody have any stories that you could call to mind right this second? of reasons why you don't like your older sibling. Anybody? <laughs> I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to cause trauma. This is not an invitation for therapy, anything like I'm just asking a question. Of course you do, right? So, but because little siblings like you and me, I'm a middle kid, we always want to outdo our our, uh, our older siblings. So my brother, about the only thing that I'm frustrated with my brother right now is he retired. Like, bro, so number one, you're old. Number two, you're free to do whatever the heck you want to. Cool. I don't like you right now. That's number one. Okay. Uh, my, my little brother, um, I'm the middle, as I said, my little brother, um, I mean, I get to do this week in and week out. All he did was go get a PhD in aerospace engineering and is designing stuff that's going to live stream moon landings back to Earth. It's cool. I hope you're watching online, by the way. Uh, James, as we get ready to study, uh, James, as we get ready to study, had an older brother that he looked up to. His name was Jesus. This is the little brother of Jesus. And as his life was unfolding, he did not understand everything that his older brother was about. Uh, in fact, in the gospel accounts, we actually see where his brothers were like, let's get him out of here. That boy has gone crazy. Uh, and, and there are moments where his family really struggles with who Jesus is and what he's about and what he's doing here. And so I, I want to just recognize that there are times when we don't necessarily understand. But what happened with James is that he came to a very, very clear understanding, so much so that he doesn't even identify himself as kind of the earthly brother of Jesus. Look at how he starts his letter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he was my older brother, but what do I call him now? The Lord. He's the one who's in charge. He's the one who's the king. He's the one that I submit my very life to. He is the one who is the Lord, the one who's ruling, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one that God has promised and the one that God has sent. Jesus, excuse me, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the 12 tribes in the dispersion, so he's writing to the, the, the uh, groups that are um, in the Roman Empire at the time. Greetings. I want to highlight three words today. We're going to start and uh, kind of break it down into three uh, sections here. Mine are broken down into paragraphs this way. But here, here's where we start. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know 
that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The last series we did just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how trials, uh, God uses these kinds of things. And so what I want to do in this first little section of the sermon is try to rehash some of that, bring it up by way of reminder, because you people are like grade A forgetters. Did you know that? All of you, me included. So it's good for us to hear the same things again and say the same things again because it helps us helps it get a little deeper than it may have on its own. Uh, here's where we go in verse 2, talking about trials. Uh, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials or encounter trials of various kinds. So uh, here's the first thing you need to know about trials. You don't have to go looking for them. Why? They will find you. You'll be walking along the street and you'll be like, oh, Oh, you're a trial. Uh, you will be driving along and somebody will cut you off in traffic and you think to yourself, I know that's a Toyota, but really, it's a trial. Anybody have this moment? Please don't confess if you do. Uh, my kids and I were driving somewhere. We jumped on the HOV lane. Glory, glory for the HOV lane. Uh, we jumped on the HOV lane and then the person in front of us was going the speed limit in the HOV lane. <laughs> Which one of my kids said, does that make you angry? I said, no, it makes me annoyed, and that's probably good for me. Yeah? Anybody have this where it's be good for you to be annoyed in that same way? Like, I didn't jump on the HOV lane thinking I was going to meet a trial. I didn't go looking for it, but there it was right there in front of me in the form of a, of a minivan. <laughs> Trials will find us. Um, there is, the reason I say that is because there are, or depending upon your background, family of origin stuff, religious upbringing, there is a kind of mindset that says, yeah, I, I, I probably need to go get myself into some trouble in order for God to do the things that he, no, no, don't go do that. They will come, trouble will find you. You don't have to create it on your own. Trials will find us. Secondly, um, trials are opportunities to rejoice. Count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. Reckon it to be a moment, an opportunity to rejoice. Trials are opportunities to rejoice. Why? Because I think to myself, man, I am so glad I got behind that person in the HOV. Man, I am so glad that that happened to me. I am so glad that that guy said that at work. I am so glad that that person sent that email or posted that online or that the boss said this or that the doctor called. Man, what a good day. Is that why? Is that? No. You don't rejoice for the trial itself. You rejoice in it. In it. And the reason why we rejoice in it, because what we find is God is with us in that trial. Like that's one of the primary springs of our joy. When we count it all joy, it's because we look and we say, man, God is with us in the midst of this. Um, David in the famous Psalm, Psalm 23, um, the shepherd, uh, God is my shepherd, I shall not want. When he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I do not fear. Why doesn't he fear? Because you are with me. That's what he says. That is the, the, the well, if you will, from which he draws his strength is to say, yes, it's the valley of the shadow of death. I'm pretty sure I'm going down here. Some of you know what that feels like because it's very personal to you right now. You, you, you feel the valley of the shadow of death kind of around you. And what you need to know is God is with you. And that's an opportunity to rejoice. Trials are opportunities um, to rejoice. Not, not because of them, but in the midst of them because God's with us. And 
Also because trials shape us. This was the big point uh, from the sermon a few weeks ago as we were talking about the tools that God uses. God uses trials to shape us. Look, here we go. Uh, Verse 3. For you uh, know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So uh, there are trials that come along. Those trials test our faith. They, they, they push and pull on us. They, they do some things for us. They are exercises, if you will, for us. And what does that do? That produces a kind of steadfastness in us, a kind of perseverance in us, a willingness to take one more step, a willingness to keep going, a willingness to risk one more time, a willingness to step out and do. It, it, this is what it builds in us. And then, um, and, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Can we just take a survey in here? Does perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, does that sound like a good day? I mean, is that a good thing? Anybody? Four of you, good. Okay, for you four. For you four. If you had to go through trials to get to perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Still sound that good? That is what God wants to do. To bring you to a sense of wholeness. To bring you to a sense of maturity that lacks nothing. And he may very well take you through trials in order for that to happen. Trials shape us. And lastly, uh, trials will vary. He says, count it all joy, brothers, back in verse 2, when you meet trials of various kinds. When you meet trials of various kinds. So does anybody have like their nightmare? Please don't say it out loud because you'll scare the person next to you. But their nightmare? Like, I don't know if it's, you know, something's coming after you or you forget something or, you know, you have a test that day or whatever. Whatever your thing is. Uh, Some of you, if we were to just sit down, um, you know, have a cup of coffee together, um, the, the trial that you would be most scared of would be your physical body giving out. What if the doctor calls? For some of you, it would not be your physical body. You could live without the, the functioning of that. It would be the relationship. If, if this person steps out of my life for whatever reason, I, I, don't, I think the walls will cave in on me. For some of you, and again, depending upon your family of origin, depending upon your upbringing, your experiences, for some of you, it's financial. If I don't feel like I have enough, I'm going to tailspin. There's not going to be an eject lever for me. I, I, I'm just going to burn in the whole thing. The whole It's going down. For, for some of you, it, it's emotional. Hey, there are things that are like dysregulated in here and they are not functioning. Like, and and if, if I can't get over that, if one more wave comes my way, I'm going under. I know it's shallow water, but I will drown in it if one more wave comes my way. These are the kinds of things that will find us. What specifically might that look like? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because James is very practical. Look at what he says next. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So one of the expressions of that various trial is simply, uh, we need wisdom. Anybody ever get to a point where you're like, I'm walking here, there's path A, there's path B, I go left, I go right, and I have no idea which way to go. Anybody on this? Yeah? This is the kind of thing he's talking about. When you encounter that fork in the road right there, when you encounter that decision point, when you step into that moment right there, 
That is a trial. I, I don't know if you uh, know this or not, but not knowing what to do is its own version of a trial. God, here I am. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I quite honestly don't know. Some of us just go, uh, I guess it's this, and off we go. Some of us, just it, it, we experience the, the paralysis of fear in that moment, and we can't do anything until we, like the whole rest of our lives shut down because of that. Wisdom. We need wisdom. For, for some, though, it, it's not necessarily the decision point. It's waiting on the answer. Okay, God, I'm here. Okay, dear Lord, I need some help here. Can you help a brother out and help me know which way uh, to go? And it's the waiting. That, that, that is the trial. Listen, I have things in my own life, in our own family right now, where I, I look and I go, God, I'm here. I've asked. And you, to this point, haven't seen fit to like give me any guidance on this. And that is the trial. That is the moment right there where like your foot's off the ground. You're ready to step forward, but you're not sure if you're going to go left or you're going to go right. And it's that moment, that moment that James addresses first. Whether you don't know which way to go or you're waiting on an answer. Here, here's, here's what James says for us to do. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him do what? Ask God. Let him ask. When we don't know what to do, what do we do? We pray. We pray. Um, listen, uh, Google is very helpful. Google is not wisdom. I don't know if you know this or not. Not everything on the internet is true. I don't know if you knew that or not. And certainly not everything on the internet is wise. When we don't know what to do, what do we do? We pray. We pray and we ask God for wisdom. And I just, uh, and we ask because God gives it. Like some of us get to the point where we're like, okay, like I said a while ago, you kind of get to that point, you're like, ah, this is what I'm going to do. I'm sure it'll all work out. And we have this kind of crazy optimism. Some of us, though, go into shutdown mode and it's that constant pessimism. Oh, well, because I don't know what to do because it's not very clear. I guess everything's terrible. This is neither of those things. This is saying, God, I'm going to stand right here waiting until you give me wisdom so that I know what to do. When we don't know what to do, we pray. We ask why. We, why do we pray? We pray because God answers. And look how he describes it. Verse 5. If you lack wisdom, let him ask God. And then who gives generously to all without reproach? And it'll be given to him. God intends to give generously to all and without reproach. God, God doesn't intend to like keep wisdom in his pocket and go, oh, which hand is it in? Which hand is it in? That's not him. He's not holding back. He's not pulling back. He's not waiting um, uh, to go, oh, well, I mean, if you just say the right words, then maybe, just maybe you would get... No, no, this is not. Why would God do this? I want to um, pull back to maybe uh, a couple of uh, a couple of Sundays ago and just put the banner over us again. Why would God hear our prayers and then generously give the wisdom that we are asking for? Why? Because he delights in you. That's why. A little bit later in James chapter 4, he's going to say he jealously desires the spirit that he made to live inside of you. God desperately wants to be in relationship with you. And so when you come to him and you're like, God, I don't know what to do, Father. Can you please give some wisdom? God doesn't look at you and go, what a loser. He pulls out a bucket of wisdom. He's like, here. 
and just pours it out generously and without reproach. Without reproach, what does it mean? It means you, you come and you ask. He doesn't look at you and go, I'm sorry, can we talk about some, like, I'm not sure you're the right kind of person asking this. I'm not sure I like your haircut, the way that you're dressed, that you live in this zip code, that you went to that school, that you didn't go to this, that you went to that, that you tried this and not that. I mean, he doesn't do that. That is not God. He delights in you. You need to know that. We ask because God gives wisdom. Um, and, And we ask, it says, without doubt. Without doubt, because we know the outcome. Look at verse um, 6 here. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. I'm going to put a parenthesis right here. Can we just pause for just a second? A little pastoral parenthesis. Honesty is not the same thing as doubt. Honesty is, God, this is what I see. This is what I feel. This is what I think. This is where I'm struggling. This is what's going on. This is how I'm articulating this as best I understand. This is um, what I think might be the case. Honesty is not doubt. Honesty is the predecessor to actual greater faith and greater intimacy. You can be honest with God without doubting. So let's just set that aside. Here's what doubt is. Uh, Let him ask your faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Doubters get tossed, it says. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What does doubt look like? Doubt looks like, God, I'm going to ask you because I went to church and the guy on the stage said I should ask you first. But really, i got a backup plan ready. I'm not even sure you're going to hear this or care or whatever, but i got a backup plan. It's in the queue. So, listen, if you're at that point, if you're at that point, I just want to say you may want to scrap the backup plan and have a much more honest conversation with God than, you, than the one that you had. So we ask because God uh, gives us, and we ask without doubt because we know the outcome. We'll get tossed around, and we won't actually get what we need. So um, with each of these uh, last two words here, wisdom and the next one, I simply want to highlight uh, when it says uh, trials are opportunities to rejoice. I want to highlight the joy and then I want to highlight the change, the transformation that comes as a result of that. So when we step into the moment where we need wisdom and God um, answers, here's what joy sounds like. I know that God hears and answers. I know that God hears. That's my point of joy. I'm stepping forward, not on my own merit, not because I can, uh, not, not because, uh, uh, you know, I just decided, you know what, God's probably got this better, than, but because God drew me to himself by his spirit and has invited me into the conversation and I step forward and go, God, I need wisdom for this right here. I know that God hears and answers, even though I don't know answers, I know the one who does. And you think to yourself, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you do know. Look back at your life. Think about your life for a moment. Just self-reflection for just a moment. Do you have a moment where you asked and God answered and gave joyfully, generously, and without reproach? Well, I'm not sure I can think about that. Okay, okay. That's right. Think about the people in your life. Maybe the people within our church family here. How God answered them when they Well, I don't know. Let's look at the Bible. How many times did people in the scriptures ask and God answered? He gave them wisdom. And he gave it to them generously and without reproach. Just look at the Bible. Look at our church family. Look 
look at even your own life. What, what you find is over and over and over again, you, uh, when you see, hey, I asked, got answered, I asked, got answered, I asked, got answered, what you find is you start storing these things up and all of a sudden you've got a shelf on your library, so to speak, of stories. And if we invited you up here, you grab that microphone right there, you just start telling stories. Yeah, one time, when I was 22, man, let me tell you, I needed God to step in and do something for me. I needed God to answer me. I needed some wisdom. So I was supposed to go this way or that, and God answered. And you've got to, all of a sudden, this, this book, this library even of stories of how God has moved in your life. So that's the transformation, is that my reliance upon God, God, I need wisdom from you. And God's answer generates in me a deeper faith. Your reliance on God, your, uh, God, God answering you in your prayer generates a deeper faith. And all of a sudden you hit 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and your stories are just more and more and more because the more God deepens your faith, the more you rely on Him. And when the more you rely on Him, the more He answers. And the more He answers the deeper your faith grows. Wisdom. What about a different version of trials? Verse 9. Let the lowly brother, this could be poor, depending upon your translation, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. But the sun rises with its scorching heat, withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits. Now, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to try to, like, sanitize this for suburbia. It really says what it says. And so I want to talk about what it's saying. The, the, the essence of it is resources can distract us. Resources can. They don't have to, but they can distract us. So let's, let's talk about poverty as he expresses it here. Um, what he says in verse 9, uh, let the lowly brother, the poor brother, boast in his exaltation. So w- w- what is the boasting there? The, the boasting is the poor struggle here, but not there. In this moment, but not forever. That, that's what he's saying. Like, there's an exaltation that the poor will experience. Oh, man, they're down. They're downtrodden. Uh, they don't have a lot. There, there are things that they really, really struggle with. That is not their story forever and ever and ever. A hundred years from now, they will not have that story. So, so what does joy look like for somebody who's struggling with that kind uh, of poverty, with that kind of lack of resources. Well, joy looks like what limits me today will not limit me forever. That's something to be grateful for. What limits me today will not limit me forever. And then the transformation is uh, a clarity of what is genuinely treasure and then an expression of, of kind of creative generosity. Some of you know we've been at it 11 months now, not quite a year. Some of you know our church family has been involved uh, with um, serving Afghan refugees. This is like the greatest uh, example that I could give you. And the vast majority of them don't know Jesus. But they, they have a sense of this. They, they came over. Many of them left all sorts of things there in Afghanistan when they fled. And they landed here and are just now starting to figure out how this, all, how this whole thing works. And so they have a real clear sense of what is genuinely worthwhile. Not all of them, it's true. But, I mean, they, they, they value family. They value hospitality. They value those kinds of things. Um, and as far as creative generosity, you go sit with them. They'll serve you tea. They will give you the very last thing in their cupboard in order to um, uh, make sure that you feel welcomed. A creative kind of generosity. How much more so 
for the people who know God. How much more so for the sons and daughters of the king of the universe. So here's a question. Uh, Does being poor automatically qualify you for this joy and this transformation? The answer to that is no. You can be poor and be bitter. Uh, Timothy, uh, Paul writing to Timothy says this, it is the love of money that is the root of all sorts of evil. So you can be rich and love money and you can be poor and love money. You can be poor and be envious of those who have. You can be rich and look down on those who don't have. I mean, it, it's just true. And the love of money is, creates all sorts of chaos in our lives. This is that. Now, the vast majority of us, in fact, I would dare say probably all of us, we don't qualify for this. This isn't the message for us. This, this part. This part is the message. Verse 10. The rich in his humiliation. Don't you? Don't you? I mean, you want to come to church, but like, man, today I'm hoping for some humiliation. This is where we are. The rich in his humiliation. That's what he says. Um, what are they humiliated by? Humiliated, if you will, t- taken back by the lack of actual lasting value. That's what he says. Uh, because like a flower of the grass will pass away. What would that sound like maybe? Here's one of the things that it may sound like. What earns me favor with everyone here will not do me any good with God. Like here, I've got some resources. I've got a nice house. I've, I've got some money. We can go to lunch. I mean, I've got this and i got that. So I could, I mean, like, if you have money, people want to be your friend. That's what Proverbs says. It's very clear about this. It's true. People want to come hang out. They want to swim in your pool. I mean, they want to, they want to eat your food. They want to do these things. This is true. Um, if, if what I have here is in abundance, it will not do me any good with God. Please hear that. There are, in fact, it may not only not do you good, it will not do you good. Um, it may actually be uh, something that is detrimental to you as well as to those around you. This is what happened in the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, there were some rich folks, uh, and, and they uh, would throw an absolute banger of a party. And then they would invite all the poor people of the church to come in and celebrate communion. So huge feast, right? And we're like, okay, it's... You know, 11.50, go ahead and open the doors. We'll let the other folks in now. Does that sound like church to you? Does that sound like Jesus to you? Does that sound like anything of the kingdom to you? No, absolutely not. So what earns me favor with others here, what earns me no favor with God? This is what we're talking about. By the way, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul was some sort of ticked about that. You, you want to eat? Eat at home. When we come together, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. The the second way that this may sound, it doesn't have to, but it could sound like this. The marks of my success can actually be a hindrance to following him. The marks of my success could be a hindrance to following him. Uh, Jesus encounters a young guy um, in in all of the Gospels. He encounters a young guy, and uh, uh, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He rolls up on him and he's like, hey, Jesus, question, really important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is like, you know what? Become the kind of person who keeps the commandments. He's like, well, which ones? Because he wants to make sure he checks the list. He's like, well, you know, this, this, and this. And he's like, well, I've done all that since I was a little kid. Oh, good, 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 good. I'm glad we're on this subject. One thing you lack, go sell everything that you have. uh, Give the proceeds to the poor. Come follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. And the guy's like, "Eh, let me call my financial advisor. I'll get right back to you. The Bible says that he walks away sad. Because he was so rich. It kept him from following. His success 
earthly success, kept him from following Jesus. There is a danger in that because we want to find satisfaction in the things that are out in front of us, the shiny things, the bright things, the fun things, the faster things, the prettier things. Um, St. Augustine, early church father, author, theologian, pastor, here's what he said. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. New iPhone 14, it won't, it won't put your heart at rest. New car, new whatever. You've made us for yourself, O Lord. You've made us for yourself, for him. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. It, it may sound like that. It, it may sound like this. What I count on right now goes away. And frankly, it can do so quickly. What I count on right now goes away. Did you see it? Uh, in verse 11, the sun rises with scorching heat, withers with the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of the pursuits. A hundred years from now, guess what? Not going to matter all that much. Your kids' kids will be spending your inheritance badly. What I count on goes away so quickly. Uh, Jesus had somebody come up to him. This is in Luke chapter 12. We'll just point you there for later. Luke chapter 12, he has a guy come up to him. Hey, tell my sibling to split the inheritance with me. He's like, man, listen. A guy goes, he has a banner year in his company. Uh, he's like, man, look at this. This is amazing. I'm going to build some bigger barns. This will be a great plan. So he goes to about the business of building a bigger barns instead of being generous and rich towards God as he describes it. And so, uh, and Jesus said, he's a fool. And everybody's like, oh, a fool? Why is that? Because that very night, he said, his soul was required of him. What are you going to stand before God and say, God, look at my barns, though. I mean, I got some new barns and they're big. It goes away. What I count on goes away. So where, where is joy and where is transformation for those who have resources? Where's the joy and where's the transformation? Um, here we go. Uh, the joy comes in that I can invest in lasting things. You really can. For those with resources, you really can make investments in things that last. Um, we hit this a few weeks ago. I just want to point to it again. This is 1 Timothy um, chapter 6, verse 17. Listen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't, don't be prideful about it. Nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Is everybody clear that riches are very uncertain? Oil prices go up. Oil prices go down. Stock market up. Stock market down. It's all uncertain. Um, but set their rich, excuse me, set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Don't run past that. We'll talk about it more in just a second. They, that's the rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works. You want to be rich, be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The... the, the I can invest in these lasting things, and that leads me to, to an enjoyment of life. And the transformation becomes this change of agenda, and, I, and my hands just open to the things that God would um, have me to, uh, for, for them to be open to. It may sound like this. I look to be just or right or um, good in, in the moral sense of that word in the way that I relate to money. I, I don't let it rule me. I rule over it. It doesn't own me. I own it. 
Secondly, I look to be a blessing to others. Does anybody have in their life, in their orbit, uh, somebody you just, con- that you just know that they are constantly looking to be a blessing to others? This is the kind of life that he is inviting us to. And thirdly, I experienced this reality. What reality? That um, generosity is greater than greed. When Jesus said it really is better to give than to receive, he wasn't kidding. This is what transformation can look like. So here's just some practical questions. Um, This is one of those things, if you uh, grab your phone and take a picture, none of this ever bothers me. I say that every few weeks. I just want you to know that's okay. Uh, number one, are you grateful for the things that God has entrusted you with? Jenny and I were just talking about this yesterday, uh, about some of the things that we enjoy in our lives. We're like, God has so blessed us. Unbelievable, man. Like, we're so grateful that we get to, to do this and to be this and to have this and to, um, to be entrusted with this. Secondly, are you enjoying God's gift in the way that he intends? Did you see that? Because uh, some people think, oh, God, don't ever enjoy it. Wrong. Wrong. God richly, at the end of verse 17 in 1 Timothy 6, richly provides us with everything to enjoy. To enjoy. God wants you to enjoy the gifts that he gives. And the way that you honor him with that is to enjoy him, enjoy those gifts in the way that he intends. Thirdly, um, what does your giving say about your heart? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If somebody were to go asking about your giving, what would it say about your heart? And lastly, do you have a plan? Like, have you thought through what it would look like for you uh, to invest in eternity via your generosity? And again, we're not only talking about money, but we're talking about all of it. Time, resources, talent, things that you can step into. So uh, do you have a plan for that? Where, Where, though, where does any of it begin? It begins exactly where James begins. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where does it begin? It begins with me submitting myself to the authority of God. It begins by me saying, Jesus, I want to be your follower. Some people think, well, see, I came to church on the wrong day. You're talking about money. You're after my pocketbook. No, 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 no. I'm not after any of that. And Jesus isn't either. I just want to be clear. He's not. It's far worse than that. He's after your heart. Because if he gets your heart, he gets the rest of you too. It it begins with submitting your life to Jesus. James, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here in the room, if you're watching online, you've never given your life to Jesus, that's the invitation is to surrender your life to him today. You will experience the forgiveness that Bryce talked about and bore witness to in the water there. Um, and you will experience a new kind of life and things will just shift for you. They just will. Because this is what he does. He begins the process of transformation. So here in a moment, we're going to sing, but I'll be at the back. You want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. I'd love to have that conversation with you. If you got something else you'd want to pray about, I, just meet me or one of us back there. We'd be happy, be happy uh, to pray with you. It begins. All of this begins. Wisdom begins. Um, making it through the trial begins. Understanding how we are generous. All of that begins with submitting ourselves to Jesus. Let me pray. Then we'll have a moment to respond. Um, Father, as we um, walk these last few moments through together, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would uh, work. You would speak. You would take what was said and kind of press it down into the places 
that it needs to be pressed down. There are moments, there are moments for every one of us where you have been very clear. And the question is whether or not we will be responsive. Whether we will just be hearers or whether we will be doers as well. Clear whatever space we need cleared here in this moment. Put down whatever distraction needs to be put down. Set all that aside so that we can respond and honor you in that response. And I do pray for anybody here, anybody who's watching online who doesn't know you, I ask you today would be the day that they, you draw them to yourself and they surrender to your lordship. They would be able to save themselves like James did, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll give you that now in Christ's name. Amen and amen.